Welcome to Celebrate Poe, episode 169, Back in Richmond. The music for the opening and ending to this podcast episode is from Come Rest in This Bosom, said to be Edgar Allan Poe's favorite song. Uh, Before we start, well, I want to take uh, uh, this episode uh, that uh, I plan to upload later and hopefully get it out to you before this afternoon. You see, at 2 o'clock, I'm scheduled for an endoscopy to check and see if everything is all right. Basically, an endoscopy is when the doctors put a tube-like device down your stomach that has a camera that takes pictures of what it finds. This is more or less a checkup, nothing really serious, and of course, uh, you're, you're totally out for the procedure. But the worst part is that you can't eat the day before, so I'm really hungry and hope doing this podcast episode will slightly take my mind off my hunger. You know, I I think I see the ghost of Mr. Poe coming. Well, hello, Mr. Poe. Greetings, Mr. Bartley. Mr. Poe, I'm so glad that you're returning to your reflections about your boyhood and youth. Your observations mean so much to this podcast. Thank you, Mr. Bartley. I I do admit I experience a kind of happiness in relating the story of my life, even if much of what transpired during my earthly existence was often of a sad and even tragic nature. Now, Mr. Poe, I believe that the Allen family had just reached Richmond after five years in London. Yes, Mr. Bartley, uh, the last podcast episode ended with that narrative. Well, Mr. Poe, uh, would you continue? Certainly. When our ship, known as the Marfa, docked in New York in July of 1820, Francis Allen was so unwell in condition that John Allen called in a doctor. We returned to Richmond via Norfolk on a steamboat. By the way, the steamboat had just been introduced since our departure for London. In fact, the first steam-powered transatlantic journey had just been undertaken the previous year. Well, Mr. Poe, was John Allen in a better position financially? No, definitely not at first. His firm was was most emphatically saddled by debts. I enrolled at Clark's Academy, a highly respectable school, where the headmaster was the esteemed Joseph Clark. Mr. Clark found me uh, found me remarkable for self-respect. He said without haughtiness strictly just and correct in my demeanor with my fellow playmates, which rendered me a favorite, though in uh, his, quote, difference of opinion with his fellow students, he was very tenacious and would not yield till his judgment was convinced. Mr. Clark also said that I flexed my, quote, imaginative powers in juvenile compositions addressed to my young female friends, unquote. 
In other words, Mr. Poe, it, it seems like you were already writing love poems to ladies. Oh, one might interpret my intentions in that matter. Uh, it was said that, that I had a sensitive and tender heart and would strain every nerve to oblige a friend. Uh, did you have any best friends? Yes, definitely. Uh, that would have been Thomas Ellis. He was the son of John Allen's business partner. Thomas Ellis called me a leader among boys, and he said that I inspired him to do many a forbidden thing. In addition to teaching Thomas Ellis to swim, skate, and shoot, I once kept him out long after dark, shooting fowl that belonged to another landowner for which we both got whipped. Uh, did the landowner find out? Unfortunately for us, Mr. Bartley, he did, and we were both whipped. And, Mr. Bartley, looking back, I can see that my personality was becoming visible. Mr. Poe, would you explain? Mr. Bartley, my circumstances, my origins worked to make me feel, well, different. Even my origins made me feel somewhat insecure. I was quite eager to read any communication with my brother. You mean Henry? Yes, yes, Mr. Bartley. Henry was living with relatives in Baltimore and making plans to sail around the world. Yes, he wanted to sail around the world. I was always eager to hear any news of his adventures. My dear younger sister, Rosalie, was still cared for by the Mackenzies. She had certainly grown physically, but not mentally. Rosalie would never marry. Mr. Poe, uh, how did you feel about your position in Richmond society? That is a most interesting question. Richmond certainly had its share of aristocratic attitudes. It was known that my parents had been actors and that I was dependent on the bounty, excuse me, the bounty that is bestowed upon an adoptive son. Perhaps this reputation gave me a fierceness that I would not otherwise have had. Often I wanted to see myself as a member of an aristocracy. After all, my father was now somewhat wealthy after inheriting his uncle's wealth. But I was constantly reminded of my lack of any claim to an estate. Now, Mr. Poe, uh, you're talking about a period after uh, your uh, father's uncle passed away. Uh, yes, Mr. Bartley. But see, I was John Allen's unadopted ward, and I acquired a lifelong sense of resentment for the affection that I expected but was denied. My sense of high status and what you refer to as entitlement stood with my awareness of a complete lack of security. I had grown competitive, even combative, convinced that, that I was exceptional, unique, which seemed to me both a, a high destiny and a curse. By 1825, gazing at the stars from Moldavia's porch, this was where Mr. 
John Allen lived, I, I was a moody teenager fighting with my foster father and dreaming of running off to sea. Uh, I'll be, excuse me, I, I, I digress. No, Mr. Poe, the way that you express your feelings is admirable. But getting back to your impressions of your home city after being on another continent for five years, how would you describe the Richmond you entered? Uh, during this period, Richmond was a, a somewhat slow-moving and sometimes sleepy city with a population of approximately 10,000 people. So, you would call Richmond an industrial city during this period, would you? Actually, Richmond was largely an industrial city, but half of its considerable population, considerable in comparison to most cities in the United States, was composed of slaves. After all, the American South was then a land of servitude, with all the problems and casual violence that such an existence might entail. The city was built on eight green hills overlooking the James River. Uh, Mr. Poe, may, may I interject a true story here? Uh, certainly. Mr. Poe, when, when I was much younger, I was assigned a client in Richmond. Now, this is a true story. I'm from Stanton, Virginia, and, um, well, uh, this was located in the Shenandoah Valley with its many mountains. Now, I was traveling in Richmond, and when I realized uh, that I was lost, I stopped and asked some people uh, where such and such a house was. I was told to go half a mile and then turn left at the, left at the top of the hill. Well, I traveled half a mile, and I didn't see anything that looked like a hill. I kept traveling around and around and around, and finally went back to the people who first gave me the directions. Turns out, what the people in Richmond considered a hill was, to me, just a bump in the road, at least compared to where I lived. Mr. Bartley, to be honest, that is a rather pointless story. I will return to my discussion of the city of Richmond. Now, the city of Richmond overlooked the James River. Uh, the, this river certainly was a consolation due to the fact that the climate was frequently oppressive. You may remember from an earlier podcast episode that discussed the sad reality that Richmond was practically unlivable during certain months of the summer, and my family would go to the refreshing climate of western Virginia with its many springs. There certainly are many beautiful homes in Richmond. Ah, yes, Mr. Bartley. Uh, the town seemed to be decorated with the peach tree and the magnolia. There were many fine homes along the main streets of the town, with large gardens filled with roses, myrtle, and honeysuckle. Richmond was the site of the Virginia legislature, as well as a splendid public library. And largely due to the wealth that he later intended, Mr. Allen became one of the town's leading and wealthiest citizens. But to be honest, Mr. Poe, as I understand it, there was a darker side to Richmond. Uh, yes, I, I must agree with you, Mr. Bartley. Amid the, amid the, amid the beautiful structures were, were the crumbling tenements and sheds where some of the black population lived. 
The streets were filled with goats and pigs and horses. There, there were even cows grazing in Capitol Square. Oh, my goodness, Mr. Poe. The, the larger plantation houses, in comparison to the town shacks, were quite spacious, with cool verandas and rooms shielded from the glare of the sun by linen blinds. The men sat in rocking chairs and smoked their cigars. Elsewhere, there were cabins for the slaves, where black children sprawled and played in the dust. So, Mr. Poe, and, and pardon me if this seems trite, what would you say the city of Richmond meant to you? Uh, this is hard to express, but one might say that Richmond served as the source for many of the ideas that many scholars say have changed world literature. It was in Richmond that I first found people who loved me, lost those individuals, and obtained my first education. Later, it was in Richmond that developed many of my storytelling skills, wrote my first poetry, and began my career in journalism. The people and places I encountered in Richmond not only inspired my imagination and way of looking of the world, but helped me develop some of the content for my stories and poetry. That is fascinating, Mr. Poe. Yes, Mr. Bartley, uh, the Richmond I first entered because of my dear mother's situation was a, a city of transition. This was not initially obvious to me, being so young at the time, and Richmond had not been the capital of Virginia very long and was still somewhat of a rowdy town of about 6,000 residents, and two-thirds of those were slaves. I believe that was about a tenth of the population of the United of the, of uh, New York City, the largest uh, city in the United States. Uh, yes, uh, the city of Richmond was located at the falls of the James River, and was a center for the export of tobacco and flour to Europe. Virginia had a certain aristocracy of important families, and by the time I was born. This Virginia aristocracy had produced three of the nation's four presidents. By the time of my earthly demise, seven of the twelve presidents had been born in Virginia. But this aristocracy was, however, on the decline. Centuries of tobacco crops had damaged the soil, making the plantations less profitable than in earlier days. The wealth was being transferred to the merchant class. Mr. Poe, so it follows that your foster father, John Allen, was one of those merchants. Yes, Mr. Bartley, uh, as if to usurp the planter class's power, John Allen married a woman from a planter family and purchased Moldavia, the former home of Mary and David Randolph, cousins of Thomas Jefferson, John Marshall, Harry Lee, and Robert E. Lee. Uh, you do understand your history, but what were you specifically doing during this period? When I was 16 years old, Mr. Bartley, I began spending a great deal of time in John Allen's office, doing odd jobs for the firm as clerk or clerk and messenger. 
what did Mr. Allen think about your abilities? Ah, Mr. Bartley, allow me to quote one of Mr. Allen's letters to my brother Henry. In reference to me, he wrote, He does nothing and seems quite miserable, sulky, and ill-tempered to all the family. How we have acted to produce this is beyond my conception. John Allen also wrote that he thought I was without a particle of gratitude, despite a much superior education than I ever received myself. John Allen also thought that my friends in Richmond were leading me to a a line of thinking and acting very contrary to what I possessed when in England. Well, Mr. Poe, I can understand why you might have been upset. But those sentiments might be viewed as insignificant when compared to the slights that John Allen made against my mother, claiming that Rosalie was the offspring of an affair. This infuriated me, especially because everyone knew that John Allen was paying for the schooling of an illegitimate son. Eventually, he would father a set of twins outside his marriage. While John Allen's moralizing to me was quite hurtful and extremely hypocritical, his philandering was an injury against my foster mother, Frances. Now, I did have my teenage obsessions, history, travel, science, literary, and of course, uh, literary celebrities, and of course, poetry. I I tried to keep abreast of European developments with the publications that John Allen stocked in his shop. Well, Mr. Poe, I'm curious, what were some of those publications? Ah, yes, there was The Spectator, the Edinburgh Review, and, most impressively, Blackwood's Magazine. Uh, Why do you refer to Blackwood's Magazine as most impressive? Mr. Bartley, Blackwood's Magazine was an Edinburgh imprint full of racy first-person tales of sensation, literary gossip, scientific discoveries, and philosophical debates. In its pages, one reads works by Coleridge, Carlyle, De Quincey, and many other excellent essayists. Mr. Poe, you certainly seem to enjoy reading other writers. Yes, I enjoyed many excellent tales and stories. But poetry, what a wonderful idea. To enter into a private world as vivid and real as this one to find the images and sounds that bring other individuals into that more perfect, intimate space and return them to their own world, completely transformed. In my rambles around the Richmond countryside, I fixated on one isolated spot, lovely for its loneliness, a wild lake with black rock bound. It also gave me a feeling of terror, So the feeling that you describe might be one of fright. No, Mr. Bartley, it was a feeling of intense terror, but not of fright, but a a tremulous delight and a feeling undefined springing from a darkened mind. 
In the uncivilized woods beyond Richmond's facades and in the dreams of poetry, I discovered a mixture of pleasure and terror where death promised comfort and hope. Well, Mr. Poe, what uh, poets did you admire the most? Ah, Mr. Bartley, when I was a boy, I greatly admired Lord Byron, his attitude, his bravery, his life, and and even his, his attitude towards life, an attitude that many individuals, including John Allen, did not like and even ridiculed. But Lord Byron was the most brilliant star in the dazzling world of London. Then, at times, he, he, could, he could pose as a sad and world-weary exile, and I could greatly sympathize with such a persona. Ah, yes, Mr. Bartley, uh, pardon my digression, but my first would love was an older woman. Scholars today make differ regarding how many times we physically met, but Miss Jane Stannard, the mother of one of my best friends, certainly had a tremendous effect upon my life. I wrote a 14-line poem about Miss Stannard called To Helen, referring to Helen of Troy. The original version was printed in 1831. Helen, thy beauty is to me like those Nicene barks of the oar that gently o'er a perfumed sea the weary, wayworn wanderer bore to his own native shore. On desperate seas long want to roam, thy high Cynthia, thy classic face, thy naiad airs have brought me home to the beauty of fair Greece and the grandeur of old Rome. Lo, in that window niche how statue-like I see thee stand, the folded scroll within thy hand. Ah, Psyche, from the regions which are holy land. Mr. Poe, that's a beautiful poem. And yes, the death of anyone's first love would be difficult for anyone. Yes, Mr. Bartley, uh, but if you will excuse me, I I must take my leave. Uh, Farewell, Mr. Bartley. Farewell, Mr. Poe. In the next episode of Celebrate Poe, we take a look at uh, the War of 1812, the largest armed conflict that took place during Poe's life. Sources include The Reason for the Darkness of the Night by John Tresh, Poe by Peter Ackroyd, Poe in Place by Edgar T. Talley, Jr., Edgar Allan Poe, A Critical Biography by author Hobson Quinn, and The Poe Log, A Documentary Life of Edgar Allan Poe by Dwight R. Thomas and David K. Jackson. Why not visit my podcast website at celebratepoe.buzzsprout.com. Click on the episode you want to learn more about to see its show notes and a transcript. And thank you for listening to Celebrate Poe.